So how you been? Been good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Feeling proud of yourself? Yeah, very proud. <laughs> that you fucking are. That you... You can't get that mad. Come on. I can get a little mad. You can't get a little mad. I can get a little mad at having to start a movie at 630 and finishing it at goddamn 1026. I, I can get that's, a little mad at that. That's your fault. That's not no, my fault. No, it's not my fucking fault. You could have easily bought me something in the blind box. Don't, I, no, no, no. We're going to save it all for the show. I'm not even going to get mad here about this. Because it will not do me any good. I will tell you this. I came into the bedroom last night, and this is how we're going to enter the show. And I watched the movie, and I'll admit I, I nodded once or twice, but I got through the whole thing. And I came in, and I sat down, and I was writing the review. And she said to me, how was it? And I said, I I want to kick him in the head physically. Like, I want to I kick him in the head. And just like, in front of someone he loves the way Randy Orton used to kick people in the head. Just, just to show him that there's consequences for this. And you know, the worst part about it is the thing we're going to have to get into with the show. That's there's there's one really annoying thing above all else that I can't talk about here. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on the other side of this guys, buckle up. Cuz one of the movies was 4 hours and the other was an hour and a half. Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the streets of Taiwan to the dusty halls of an art gallery somewhere far off in Europe. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Ben, and joining me as always. I'm Tyler. How are you, buddy? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to defend back. something today. Not going to have to defend it. That's not even my problem. That's not even the big issue. No, no. It's, that's oh, not even no. it. You'll, you'll oh, see. Yeah, you'll see. But before we get to your little soiree here, why don't we talk about the best thing you saw this week? I have three doors. Behind door number one is something we're probably going to talk about at the end of this year. Or we'll probably have already talked about when this episode comes out in the end of the year poll. Behind door number two is a movie we're probably going to talk about in October of next year. Possibly. Mm-hmm. And behind door number three is just some whatever I remember off the top of my head. Let's go with uh, off the top of your head. I hate you. <laughs> I recently saw a movie called Red Surf from 1989. Red Surf, okay. Red Surf, it's directed by H. Gordon uh, Boos. It's not really anything i think that you would have to check out the only real thing of note about the movie is that it stars george clooney in a in in like one of his first roles it's like a strangely violent drug movie but about surfers who deal drugs and make a living and what's interesting is it, it kind of it predates point break but has a lot of the similar like point break 
vibes, if that makes sense. But, like, not really. I don't know. Is George Clooney one of the surfers? He is, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm in. You, you had me at, at George Clooney surfing movie. I think that sounds pretty fun. You also have D.B. Pfeiffer. D.B. Pfeiffer. D.D. Pfeiffer. D.D. Pfeiffer. I don't know who that is. Um, it's Michelle Pfeiffer's younger sister. Oh. She was in Vamp, Falling Down, a couple other movies. Oh, I did not know Michelle Pfeiffer had a sister. Neither did I until I watched that movie. And, the, and that she was in the industry. Let's see. Okay. Well, well I mean, is it good? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really, it's weirdly way more violent than I thought it would be. And way more, like, dark. I, I, I thought it'd be, like, a fun romp. And it was much more of a kind of a serious film. Interesting. Okay. I'm there for all of that. Okay. Let's see. You know, I mean, it's been it's been several weeks since we've been on the show. And this will this will be hitting the first of January. So, Happy New Year, guys. I gotta say it, man. Like... Have you seen the Fablemans? I saw it last night. <laughs> Did you while out in the last five minutes? It is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Might be the best jump scare. Like the like the like the best jump scare of of twenty twenty two. Tried not to tell my wife, who's a big <laughs> fan, but she learned because she like looked the film up, and he's like the fourth listed actor in such, the movie, which is such shit. Which sucks. However, she said the movie is so long that she had forgotten that. <laughs> was supposed to be in it so she she did react she did have a huge reaction when he popped up at first i didn't know who it was and then when he 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 spoke i was like oh shit he's here no no the no the horizon it's either on the top or the bottom <laughs> what did you think of the fablemans not to go into too much because i have a feeling it's going to be if not on one if both of our lists what do you think it was behind door number one i assume that's what it was what do you think of it, though? It's good. I, I think it's incredible. I think it's like maybe his. I'm trying to even think what his strongest movie since. Well, I mean, his strongest movie was West Side Story last year. But like, that's like, say, re- yeah, yeah. If like it wasn't West Side Story, it would be, you know, like Bridge of Spies. Yeah, that would be probably the most recent one, too. But I think this is even heads and shoulders above both of those. He essentially made us look at home movies for two and a half hours. And I could have dealt with another 20 minutes of it. One of the things I really liked about the movie is that it seems to go through every single color grading and style that Spielberg was, like, known for throughout his years. It's really interesting. I also just, like, loved the little, like, details about, like, his home movies. Well, I love... Like, puncturing holes in the film. That was so cool. Yeah. When we walked out of it, I said to her, I said, one of the things I love about this movie is that there are movies about people who will do a thing like when Paul McCartney would, as a boy, walk by like a guitar shop and see a guitar and he goes, oh, I wonder what one of those is like. And we're all supposed to like kind of be like, oh, because he's going to be in the Beatles one day. This movie does that, but doesn't do it in the same pandering way. Anytime he's on one of the set of his little movies, you're like, yeah, he's so preternaturally good at this. Everything else in his life might be falling apart, but Stephen or Samuel Fableman knows how to direct. I mean, he does know how to direct. I mean, he might be the best best director of all time and might win a movie just about making a movie about his life. Might win a movie. Might win an Oscar, excuse me. (laughs) 
sorry, I'm a little <laughs> sleep deprived. Oh my god. Oh no. You had all day. Yes. You could have slept. Could I? Or has that movie just been on every minute since we first got it? But yeah, I would say go see The Fablemans. It's in theaters. It'll be soon on video on demand because God knows those people were like, nope, we're putting it on video demand as fast as we can. That sucks. It does. That movie is going to work so much better in a theater than it will on a on a small screen. Speaking of a movie that would work better in a theater than on a small screen. You know, you're right. Both of these movies tonight we're going to talk about are honestly movies I bet you that would work better on a big screen. And the first movie is... Orson Welles' most intriguing idea in the later part of his career. A documentary, and I say that with heavy quotations, about the art of forgery as well as the art of so many other things. The film dives deep into the world with reckless abandon and proves that art is capable of coming from anywhere, and especially from the world of fictitious and those who want to improve upon what they've already seen. This is, of course, the movie from Orson Welles, starring Orson Welles, F for fake. For my next experiment, ladies and gentlemen, I would appreciate the loan of any small personal object from your pocket. A key, a box of matches, a coin. Uh, key it is. Good, sir. Hold it up ten feet over your head and watch out for the slightest hint of hanky-panky. And behold, before our very eyes... Transformation. We've changed your key into a coin. What happened to the key? It's been returned to you. Look closely, sir. You'll find the key back in your pocket. May we see it, please? After your old tricks, I see. Why not? I'm a charlatan. What's that, sir? Did I used to be a magician? Sir, I'm still working on it. As for the key, it was not symbolic of anything. This isn't that kind of movie. You'll find the coin now in your pocket, sir. Keep your eyes on that coin, sir, while it's returned to you as your key. Shall we return you to your mother? Is this your mother? No, of course not. Open your mouth wide. We'll return you your money. By the way, have you ever heard of Robert Houdin? Speaking of magicians, I mean. Uh, no, of course not. But of course you do know my partner, Francois Reichenbach. Hello. Houdin was the greatest magician who ever lived. Do you know what he said? A magician, he said, is just an actor. Well, good luck to you. Just an actor playing the part of a magician. So do you want to explain to them what this is? Like, why these two movies? Oh, yeah. Why we picked these two movies? So during yeah. our Best of the Horror Decade list, we knew each other's lists by, like, the alphabetized order. And so we bet a criterion each on who could guess the placements more correctly. And I got you six to ten, but you came back at five to one. Yes. Yes, and I decided for the Criterion movie that I was going to... And it was a blind buy, too. That was the other thing to be noted. It was something that the winner... We made the... When when it was all settled, when it was all settled, we decided to 
to have it to where whoever was the winner of the of their half of the bet bought the other person a disc uh, based on whatever they wanted. And that is where I came up with F for Fake. I saw F for Fake when the first like Netflix first came around. And it was one of the movies I had always heard about, but never seen. I was actually told by like my teacher in school to watch this movie because he was like, he's like, man, if you want to see like crazy documentaries, you should check this one out. And I watched it and I'll tell you, it's one of those early, early movies in like the art house world that kind of lit my brain on fire. And I haven't seen it in years. And I will say this, this movie is as effective as it was back then. You said art house. And I think that's an intriguing way to look at it because to me, it plays more like a kind of like a thriller. Like I know that it's off putting and it would definitely not be like a huge blockbuster, but I think the way that Orson Welles paces the story and just like how incredibly magnanimous, I feel like you could get a lot of people who aren't traditional like art house film watchers really intrigued in what's happening in this movie well i think it's one of those things where wells has such a presence to him that it's almost undeniable watching him on the screen like you're just like i don't like he could be talking about the concept of shoe repair and you'd be like damn like i'm so locked in on this shoe repair movie i saw someone and I'm blanking on who it was. It was someone on Letterboxd, and I apologize. But someone said it was like being stuck at a party listening to someone talk about something that you don't know anything about, but that their their charisma makes it seem absolutely fascinating. And that's kind of the entire vibe of the movie, is just like you're just hanging out with someone really cool for like an hour and 28 minutes. He sets it up so well. Like, he sets mm-hmm. up the idea of this movie, like, so well within, like, the first... I'll say it, too, like, the open. I think the opening and the closing are just incredibly strong. Because the weird thing about it, too, is it, it doesn't feel like a traditional Orson Welles movie. There's something about, like, the way that movie moves and its pacing that feels completely different from, like, what he does in most of his other movies. Because most of his other movies are fiction, like, uh, straightforward narratives. I agree, because this movie is not very straightforward, but I think if you look at the other side of the wind, I think this was a technique he was working towards, is this, like, jumbled, fractured narrative that slowly pieces itself together. And I think that's one of the reasons why he couldn't get a lot of funding for his later works, is because they were kind of very ahead of the time that, that they were made in. Well, it's almost like he saw where the ball was going, like film wise, but he just got there a little too early. Yeah, yeah much too early. <laughs> Those two movies, this and The Other Side of the Wind, still feel like they're ahead of the curve, if that makes sense. They do. Like, I've never seen The Other Side of the Wind, but this movie, like, for a man who made Citizen Kane back in the day, like this feels like lights out a completely different filmmaker almost in some ways. We've talked about the other side of the wind. I've never seen it, dude. On the podcast. I thought still have not. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. You may have talked with me about it, but I've never seen it, man. All right. How long, how long is it? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not that long. It's it's like maybe two hours. Oh, okay. Um, wow. And it was it's on Netflix. Yeah, they they brought it back or something, didn't they? Oh, maybe this is when we we'd met and you asked for my best of the year, and I think I told you that like the other side of the of the wind was like top five. I think that sounds correct. Okay. I remember someone being like, "Oh, that Tyler, he's an art house goon." <laughs> it, I had two Netflix movies in that top ten that year because I also had uh, "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead" the documentary that was paired with it. What was the documentary? The documentary was called "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead," which is about specifically why he couldn't get backing to finish The Other Side of the Wind and also kind of how F for Fake got made. Because if you don't know the story, uh, this movie was not directed by someone else, but was filmed a lot by a guy named Francois Ronbach, who is a cinematographer. And he started the documentary focusing on Elmore Dehori's character in this um, docudrama. And then gave the film over to Orson Welles, who then proceeded to film more stuff and more stuff and then tight, like edited it all together. It does feel like he definitely has someone else working with him on it. It doesn't feel like it's a pure Orson Welles movie, but that might be its greatest advantage. I mean, yeah, it was co-directed by a couple other people because not all the footage was like directed by Orson Welles. Sometimes it would be like... Gary and Okja go out and just shoot some stuff and then just like shoot reactions and stuff like that. And so it's all credit to Orson Welles because Orson Welles is kind of like the driving force of the vehicle, but it was like made by a lot of people. I mean, we haven't really talked about what this movie's about. This movie is a documentary kind of on the world's greatest art forger. Yes. There's a man named Elmir Dehori who is an art forger. He is adorable. He's just this um, little, this little, what is he, Italian? He is, uh, I want to say Hungarian. He is Hungarian, you're right, because Carson Wells goes, oh, he's Hungarian too, and you're just like, you're like, weird, but okay. He He's Hungarian because he, there, you, there's that great uh, joke he tells, which is like, do you know what the Hungarian recipe for an omelet is? <laughs> In the book, in the oldest Hungarian cookbook, the that starts with the first thing you do is get as uh, steal an egg. <laughs> <laughs> remember when you could just make jokes like that, and people, yeah, you know, you just, would be like, just be weird about people's ethnicities. But yeah, it, it's. But it was all in good fun. It kind of yeah, and it and it works. Like you don't feel like Orson Welles is being malicious. No, 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 no. Uh, and you know, too, I love that this movie kind of also is a profile on Orson Welles. It's a profile on multiple hucksters. It's true. Well, I mean, Welles even says it. He goes, I'm a flim flam man. Yeah. He goes, my whole job is to make you believe things are happening on screen that aren't actually happening. So have you ever heard of the story of Clifford Irving? No, I have not. So Clifford Irving and the movie goes through through all of this is the guy who was originally like interviewing because he wrote a book on Elmer Dehori called Fake. And the movie is examining like that book and then also examining later on, a couple years later, in 1971, 
uh, Clifford Irving wrote an autobiography of Howard Hughes that was an entirely fake autobiography, just like completely fabricated. But he was able to forge the signature of Howard Hughes so well that people thought it was a legitimate autobiography of Howard Hughes, who's like notoriously a recluse. That's so great. And I just kind of love how this movie like doubles in on itself. Yeah, it does. Because like you think the movie is going to be about this or this art forger. Well, first you think the movie is going to be about magic or some bullshit because of the way Orson starts the movie. And then you're like, no, it's going to be about art forger. And then you're like, oh, no, it's more of a retrospective on Wells's career. And then you're like, well, no, wait a minute. Now it's about this guy. Like the movie's about lying, really. It's yeah. And it's 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 an essay film. But I mean, it's not even about how lying is bad. It's about how like lying is kind of essential in the world of like entertainment and like art. Yeah. We all know that like like certain parts of professional wrestling are fake, but you have to suspend that disbelief to know, like, and enjoy the show. Yeah. And this whole movie is just about like, just enjoy the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that intro really feels like Orson Welles being like, are you thinking about it? Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Oh, well, the thing about that is smoke bomb. And just like he takes <laughs> off running. Is this your favorite Orson Welles, like this period of Welles? I think Welles is very charming here um, and very I, charming I, in this movie. I love his outfit. His outfit's great. Do you think if I dressed like that, anyone would get that for Halloween? You'd have to do with like the gray beard and big black cloak. And you'd have to do, you'd have to learn like sleight of hand magic. I would, wouldn't I? Those kids are blown away with it. They're having a great time. They're having a wonderful time. I mean, as yeah, I, like, that's I would the also, fuck from Lady of Shanghai. I, he directed the Magnificent Ambersons. Come on. <laughs> I just like that those kids are pulling really obscure movies way before their time. That would oh, be the you director and me. And of like, uh, Mr. Arkanen. Oh, the fat cop from Touch of Evil. He's like, I directed that movie too, you little bastard. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I mean, you're still the fat cop from Touch of Evil. Mr. Orson, how was working with Anthony Perkins on on the trial? What was it like to voice uh, Omicron in the in the Transformers movie? Why he's like, little? He yeah, he he would come after us for that, wouldn't he? But yeah, I mean, like this is him closer, definitely closer to the end than the beginning. Like, yeah, he would pass away about a about a decade after this. Um, is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. This is not the last movie he ever made in his lifetime because there was a he'd made a documentary about the filming and making of Othello called Filming Othello. But it's the last like narrative or like I say probably feature film that he made in his lifetime. It's one of my favorites. I don't know. I just when when you said blind by, I was like, I know exactly what I'm getting him. Like, I was See, so glad you did. I was so glad you hadn't seen this, kind of, and you didn't own this. Yeah, I did not own this. Um, I had seen, like, 30 minutes of it, and I was just, like, too sleepy to really invest the time. But, yeah, I think I tried to watch it after I watched The Other Side of the Wind. There you go. Let's see. Yeah, he does, like, make this about 10 years before he, he shuffles off. Man, he was a real he was a real guy who just like kind of just like at the end of his career was taking any job he could. 
Sort of, yeah. There was a lot of, like, he just had a lot of debts. And towards the end of his life, he, he was really, you know, didn't have really, like, anywhere to 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 stay or anything like that. And, um, yeah, it was, it's really, it's just, it's a horribly sad story. It is, because Wells was super talented. Super talented. Does he, like, if you had to pick, like, the five best people to ever do like directing is he in that conversation for you i don't know if i would ever want to make a list of the five best directors of all time but if i had to make a list of directors who i thought were like preternaturally gifted with the art of filmmaking i would say orson Welles is, is definitely like up there because like it, it it does really feel like every movie I watch, I'm just like, and fucking this guy's just thinking of new stuff like every single movie. Like it's just it's it's insane. It's weird to say, but he understood the concept of like how to make a movie different. Like he's in a lot of ways, he's exactly what Spielberg did. Like when you watch The Fableman, like the man just understood when you put him on a set understood like this is where i belong and he goes i know everything i need to do like wells was the same way and wells was like one of my favorite moments and i mean i don't know like i don't think you're a guy who probably ever looked into old radio shows and stuff but the fact that he connects it to war of the worlds which is what broke him and like he talks about how like that move that show that radio show caused a panic like, it's insane to think about that, like, he was able to, like, get away with that without, like, he even says it, he goes, like, he goes, another guy in, like, another country tried it. They sent him to jail. All I did was go to Hollywood. But, like, is here's the thing. Is that true? Or is that Orson Welles lying to you? You know what I mean? Which part? That part. The, oh, the guy going to jail? That I don't know. That's a great like, question, because... Like, does he it's you know is he propping up the lies about how the war of the world's broadcast was like really chaotic to kind of like inflate his own story or you know is he just simply telling you the facts i i I love that i can't speak for the part about the other man but i can tell you like there was genuine panic because most people didn't like so the what what made it such an effective broadcast is that it came on the exact same time as the Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy hour, which was like, you know who Charlie McCarthy is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It, for those of you who don't know, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy were a famous duo. Charlie McCarthy was a, was a uh, ventriloquist dummy and Edgar Bergen was like the ventriloquist of the time. And they had a radio show. So people would dial back and forth between shows they came in on the halfway point of War of the Worlds. They didn't hear the opening where it's like, the Mercury Theater on the air presents War of the Worlds. They thought it was fucking real. Like, so it did cause a panic. Like, and Wells, when he first did it, was like, he heard all this. He's like, well, my career's fucking over. And it's actually the thing that got him everything he wanted. Which again, yeah. now that you say it, you're like, was he lying about that? That's the thing. Is, 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 you know, like how much of his backstory is he telling? Is he exaggerating some of it? Is he obfuscating some of it you know what i mean like he is he is the pov in the movie and so that's another layer i think of what the movie is trying to do is like how much of like he starts the movie with a magic trick 
how much like the whole the whole movie is a magic trick. You know what I mean? That is very true. That is very very true. The whole movie is a magic trick. You're right, and you are not supposed to trust anything he says. Man, you make a really solid point there, actually. Yeah, you're right. He's got that innate ability to get you to trust him. I mean, he even says it. He says, for the next hour, I'm going to tell you the truth and nothing else. And you forget how long he's been talking. So when he finally reveals, I mean, it's one of, I'll say it, like, it was between this, the only thing that would have beaten this out for me sending you, and the only reason you didn't get it is because we've done this movie, was the ruling class. I saw this in the ruling class, like, around the same time. Those are two and, really good movies to get yeah, you right. into the, the headspace. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, I'll tell you this. Like, I didn't remember a lot about this movie. Like, sitting down, I was like, man, I feel like I'm watching this for the first time. But when he has that opening magic trick and the scene where he says, now I've been telling you that I was telling you the truth. He goes, for an hour, he goes, for the last 15 minutes, I've been lying to you. I went back and just rewound 15 minutes. I was like, okay, where did he start lying to me? I loved that. Like, I knew, I was like, <laughs> when he started doing that, like, third story about the Picasso's like probably been uh, at this about an hour or so, and you know I like didn't look it up, but I was like I was like yeah, I knew it. You little bastard! I've got you now. I do love that a I want to say like seven percent of this movie is just men gawking at a very attractive Italian woman walking around. That was apparently her idea. It was yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. It's kind of great that one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, the last artistic statement was, look at how hot my girlfriend is. Is that his girlfriend? Yep. I did not know that, and that makes all the sense in the world. Quote Tony Stark from Iron Man 2, just when I think I've got it, the old man is still taking me to school. Man, Orson Welles. Just an all-around, just... What is your favorite Orson Welles thing? I love the tape of him... Getting drunker and drunker at that wine commercial that he was doing. <laughs> He's getting more and more belligerent. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne. It's vintage dated. So poor my song. Um, I love that. Have you heard the one where he's reading for uh, for peas? Yeah, that's pretty good, too. You could have just one more take of that. Story. Why? I just did it right. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm not used to having more than one person in there. One more word out of you and you go. Is that clear? Yes, sir. I take, well, I take directions from one person under protest. But from two, I don't sit still. But who the hell are you, anyway? No, I'm the engineer. Well, why the hell are you asking me for another one? Well, I thought there was a slight bonk, and I would like, just like to be safe. Jesus. What is a gonk? Do you mind telling me what that is? A bang from outside. A bang from outside. Certainly Orson Welles is great. I also... There was a split second when I was picking up movies where I held Magnificent Ambersons and I was like, I should watch the Magnificent Ambersons sometime. And I, that was almost the movie I, I got for you. Man, that would have been wild if we would have done that. That would have been really weird. Yeah, but you you chose a different path. Did. Yes. You chose a di- Magnificent Ambersons isn't even the full cut of it, right? 
No, 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 no. Full cut doesn't exist and probably will no. never exist. No, not unless someone's just sitting on it waiting for the right time. But I feel like that you time know, is way past. They might find it in a church wall somewhere in South America, but at this point, I think it's doubtful. But nonetheless, we, at least we have a good chunk of his work. I will say, even the cut that is not the full Orson Welles cut is still uh, one of the best movies ever made. It's impressive to say. I mean, we we haven't even brought its name up, but Motherfucker did make Citizen Kane. Motherfucker made Citizen Kane. Yeah. And Touch of Evil, a movie that has happened on this show. A movie that we have talked about. And The Other Side of the Wind, which is a movie I thought we had talked about, but I guess we hadn't. A movie I have said the name in front of Ben. We'll, we'll put it in that category. And just putting this out there into the universe, there's going to be a new 4K by, I believe, Studio Canal or um, someone over in England is issuing a new 4K scan of the negative of the trial from 1962. And, you know, if that somehow ended in my hand, ended up in my hands, that'd be pretty sweet. So, you know. Oh, I'll bet it would. I'll bet it'd be very it's sweet, put, wouldn't it? Don't put you? It out of the universe. Oh. Speaking, speaking of which, your birthday is January what again? 8th. January 8th. Uh, I gotta converse with your lady and tell her not to buy something. Oh, God. No, I'm not gonna let her see the thing that I... Because I, I, I know, I have a feeling like she almost might be on it. Well, I'm gonna... You know what? I'm not even gonna tell her not to buy. I'm gonna say, hey, do you know about this? And would you be good if I got him this? Yeah, do that. No, I'm just going to impose my will like, oh, <laughs> terrible what I just said. I like that girl of yours. That wife of yours now, Jesus Christ. Wife, yeah. Yeah. The Infernal Affairs box set is so good looking. All right, I'll get it when I got a chance. Goddamn. No, you will listen to everything I want to say about it. Oh, goodness, goodness. I mean, what else do we have to say about this? I, I hate to feel like we haven't talked about it that much but i mean like it's not a movie you can really talk about it's kind of something you just have to i'll say this both of these movies vibes movies vibes yes yes yeah <laughs> um both movies are what i like to call afternoon pen uh, pen smoking movies shouldn't start that movie at six the next one i'll tell you that much right now don't yeah don't do that start that movie on a winter's day at like two o'clock fuck that Twelve thirty. make sure it's not even remotely close to getting dark no, I think you gotta start it in the in the sunlight, but take a pause halfway through to make a coffee really quick, and then play, and then you ride the last two hours into the night. Tell you what, I was almost riding the couch because I was almost dead asleep, and it's not the movie's fault too. Well, we'll get into it real quick before we get off. F is fake. This movie does have some some of the most radical editing I've ever seen. It's so ahead of its time, right, for a documentary. There are cuts that make it seem like two separate people in two separate places are having a conversation with one another. It's this movie's incredible. I'm glad you liked it. I was really wondering how you would take to this, and I'm glad it sounds like it's a positive thing. I love so. Yeah, I know, I know. That's that's why I shouldn't. I guess I shouldn't have been worried about getting you this one. This disc has a lot of amazing special features. I will say. It has a commentary track. It has two separate films on it. One's like a PBS documentary on Elmore Dehori. It's like whole his whole life. It's oh, basically cool. his whole story. 
I think there's also the nine minute trailer that Orson Welles shot. Like, there's there's a ton of cool shit on the. Oh, there's also an intro from uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich. It's a great little. It's a great little disc. Just his inability. You know, no, no. We we we've said what we need to say. I can't even go. What is your favorite scene in the movie, though? Oh, man, it's really hard to pick like a scene. I kind of love. I mean, this isn't really like a scene, but I love the interstitials. Like, I love when it cuts back to Wells and he's like telling you something. Like he's like basically like recapping what you just saw. I love those little bits. I think there's. I think they're so fun and they splice up the movie really well and. Yeah, I think his whole deal about, like, the movies and rewinding time and stuff like that, I think that's all really wonderful. Yeah, that is that is some... I don't know, man. The man is just a craftsman when it comes to putting a movie together, whether it be fiction or nonfiction. I also think the Picasso section is pretty funny, just because of the, the use of the, like, trumpet and horn imagery. I don't know yeah. why, but I really like that. He does do a really nice job with that. And also, too, he kind of break. He almost breaks the genre of documentary into something new. Completely. I mean, the movie feels kind of like an essay on like what movies can be. Yeah, it's a very that's a very astute way to put it. What would you pair this with? Ooh, that's a good question. I would probably I think, pair this with. I'm gonna send you one. All right, I sent it to you. You did. It, sorry, let me rephrase. I mentally sent it to you. Oh, you mentally sent it to me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sorry. Could have been here for hours. I would pair this with either the other side of the wind, which I would be a daunting task because you got to sit through the other side of the wind, which is a very difficult movie. Or I would pair this with something like I'm trying to think of like filmmaking movie about filmmaking that's as fun as this, and there's really not much. I think there's maybe there was a documentary a few years ago called The Art Forger. I think if not mm-hmm. that. If I can't find a movie called that, uh, then The Hoax. I don't know if you've ever heard of The Hoax. The Richard Gere movie? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that movie was pretty cool. It's like pretty okay, but it, it's a it's a biopic about um, the guy in this movie. Uh, oh. uh Irving. Well, there you go. The one I was thinking of is not the one you picked, but... I would say exit through the gift shop would work amazingly oh, with this. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, because they're both kind of about the movie, about the world of art. Not so much about cinema as much, but it's about the world of like art and like what it takes to be an artist as well. The movie I was thinking of is a German movie a documentary that I watched uh, a long time ago. Not a long time ago. It, when it probably around the time it came out, but it's called Wolfgang Balashachi, The Art of Forgery. It's about a German art forger, forgerist. Hmm. was found guilty for forgery. I'll be danged. Well, there you go. Okay. And we said that. What's your elevator pitch for F for Fake? Hey, you just want to see, you just want to see uh, Orson Welles going around having a good time? I do. It's like an Orson Welles hangout movie. It's weird to say, but it is an Orson Welles hangout movie. Best enjoyed with like a pipe full of tobacco mixed with marijuana. Yeah, I just went with the marijuana route. Well, me too. But you and I, I mean, I think for him, he would probably be like, what's this funny looking substance in here? Oh, he's 100%. Well, he wouldn't know what hash resin was or like what reactive resin is or the difference between a sativa and an indica, no. but he's definitely smoked weed before. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And what do you give this? I think I give this 
I was at four after watching it, but I think it's going to be four and a half. And I think this is going to be a movie that I'm going to watch a lot. It's not terribly long. Like it's a movie that actually like moves pretty quickly for an hour and 30 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with four and a half as well. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is. Well, we got out of F for fake. I'd say that went pretty well. You want to introduce our second movie? And yes. tell us all what it's about. Yeah, so our second movie is the 1991 Taiwanese teen crime drama epic associated with the new Taiwanese cinema, of which we have reviewed two movies so far. Um, this director's previous film, his second film, A Taipei Story, and the star of that film's uh, Ho Shou Shen's A Time to Live and A Time to Die. This movie is based on a real-life incident that the director claims to remember from his school days when he was 13. The original title in Chinese translates to The Homicide Incident of the Youth on Gouling Street, which is referring to the 13-year-old son of a civil servant who murdered his girlfriend, who was involved with a teenage gang leader for unclear reasons. This movie stars Cheng Chen and Cheng Kochu, as Zauser and Zauser's father, and Lisa Yang as Ming. This is, of course, the 1991 film derived from a mistranslation of lyrics from Elvis Presley's Are You Lonesome Tonight, directed by Edward Yang, A Brighter Summer Day. You know, if you look at our whole career together on this show as a boxing match, a lot of people would have said that, like, my crippling blow was the Eternals when I finally pulled that off. (laughs) But damn. 
the art house haymaker that you just threw with this. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I had it in my back pocket the entire time. You wanted to lose that bet. No, it's not that I wanted to lose the bet. You know, after the Eternals, I did say, there will be payback. You just, you just won't know when. You know what the worst part about this movie is? I'm guessing it's that it's great. Yeah, actually, that is kind of the worst <laughs> part about it. Because, like, I'll give you this. Within about 20 minutes, I locked into this. And I was like, oh, it's Taiwan City of God. Cool. Like, basically, like yeah. I can at least, fu- yeah, I can fucking figure out what this is. But why is it fucking four hours? Uh, I don't know, but man, it works. I'm going to say this right now. I nodded a lot. So it's... I'm going to be relying on Wikipedia, but everything I read on Wikipedia, I remember. I will say I probably also nodded off a little bit, which is why it's a movie that I really want to see in the theaters, like Marguerite, which is another like four hour long film. I mean, Tyler, I'm going to tell you right now, if you are down to pay half of whatever it costs, let's put it on one night at the fucking Victorian. <laughs> Big slurpy soda and popcorn to watch. <laughs> Essentially say anyone can come, but there could be moments where I stand up and just like walk around. Like, <laughs> like th- that could happen. I might go like stand in the aisle just to like kind of like keep myself like fucking going. Cause like the movie is so fucking soul crushing. It's a hard one to watch. It's not even that it's even that hard to watch. It's just like, it goes at a pace where you're like, I'm living with these people. Camera work is fucking brilliant, too. That's the other thing. That's the thing is this movie, uh, like, every other shot in the movie is, like, one where I'm just like, oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, or, like, like, there's a shot where people run upstairs and the camera moves up floor by floor where I was just like, that's really well done. Like, his stuff where he shoots outside. So this is Taipei story and a time to live and a time to die. Just the Taipei story. That's the one I liked less of those two. I don't know if I'm an Edward Yang guy. I'm not mad I've seen any of his stuff, but I don't know if I'm an Edward Yang guy. This movie, I don't know. There's something about this movie that just it's like hits me in like a soul level. Why do you think it needs to be this long? I feel like it needs and works is a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like, I think the slowness of the pace and kind of the way it like makes you like feel like you're in the room like watching this family and kind of like the the year in the life cycle that this movie goes through from uh 1959 to 1960 i think is so interesting and you get just like this overwhelming sense of what it must have felt like to grow up in Taipei at that time period and how confusing and how this setting could have led to these like horrific and violent acts. The uniforms they're wearing, are they part of like some little army shit? Yes. It's like a military school, I would say. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because the, the principal. I mean, it also works. Like, a... like, don't get me wrong. It works. So here, let's, let's just, we're just going to go through the Wikipedia just enough to satisfy like the plot for me because like i remember it but like it's like everything i'm reading i remember so the the main kid's name is sir mm. am i saying that right it's sir Asir, and it stands for little four little four yeah he's the fourth of five children 
Yes, correct. His name is like Little Four, which is you said mm-hmm. four of five. Yeah. Which kind of is a real like starting like statement on his character. Yeah, he's like a middle child. The movie kind of depicts him as like silent in like family situations. When the dad fucking paddles him. Yeah. Like Jesus Christ. It's it's a lot. I mean, like, you know what also it is? It's fucking West Side story. But it's like really dark. It's a it's <laughs> it <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like the darkest form of West Side story imaginable. One thing I think is really interesting is Edward Yang said he modeled this film after Goodfellas. It makes actually a lot of sense if you like almost put the main character in almost a like middle ground of Henry and Joe Pesci's character, almost like you run it as one character. This movie does feel like if it was a three hour version of like the of like <laughs> just Henry's life in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if he never got out. Yeah, this movie is essentially about a family that is exiled from China because it takes place in 1959, which is after the Chinese exile and the rise of Mao, where anybody who wasn't a communist or was, you know, other forms of leftist left to Taipei. And the Taiwanese government was also pretty harsh on the Chinese expats. As you see in this movie. I didn't live during that time. It's hard for me to understand, I guess, what this struggle is about, which is one of, I think, the hard contributing factors to why this story never has, like, resonated with me. And he, this is kind of his subject matter, isn't it? He, he seems like kind of he's almost Oliver Stone of Taiwan, where it's just like, man, he really loves Vietnam. Like, like this is almost feels like his Vietnam in some ways, yeah, because I think what Taipei story is kind of also about the hardships and the and stuff like that. And his final film, the 2000 Yi Yi, which is oh, uh, done a fucking crucifix. We're gonna have to watch that, aren't we? Yes, we are. Is sort of also about the same thing, where it's like a slice of life about the like a middle class family in Taipei. I mean, hooray. <laughs> You you should be lucky that I'm not making you watch more Simon Lai movies. I, I don't know what that is. Okay, like Edward Yang. Let me let me look at this fuck. This is the second movie that comes up when you pull up his filmography on IMDb. So yeah. that says something right there. This is his masterpiece, isn't it? Isn't this the movie that everyone I, considers like this is? I would say that this, this is, is the probably the masterpiece like best picture but i think he is one of those directors where it's just like no he's got a couple he's got a couple bangers you know i guess if you count the tv movie it's nine yeah i i I don't know man like i i really do enjoy this movie i enjoy like the journey they take sir on i'll say it dude the last 15 minutes is fucking as good as anything that has been done with children since you and i have started talking about this show yeah, I think the big set pieces, like the last 15 minutes, the like rain fight where they take samurai swords and, you know, Chinese like like army swords and slice up the rival gang, I think is really cool. Oh, no, um, I'm talking about like when he when he fucking knifes her. Yeah, no, I was going to say the set pieces in this movie are really amazing. 
Um, like absolutely fantastic. He knows where to put a camera when he's in that town square. Like that town yeah. square, uh, the sequences in there are incredible. Uh, the way that sequence works, I think it kind of works like backwards, where it starts really close on them, and then yeah. when the climactic moment happens, it pulls back and it pulls further away from them, and you kind of see how the world is reacting to them. No one really cares. They, they don't care for a bit. They don't, they yeah. don't like there's like audible confusion and they kind of don't know what's going on. And it's, it, it takes a while. And this is, I think the hallmark and probably like one of the cornerstones of what is maybe wrongly set called to be slow cinema. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> Four hours. How could it not be? I mean, yeah, there's like one shot in this where it's just like you hear two people arguing, but you have half of the shot is like obscured by the parchment that he's sleeping in. And the other half is like some people's feet. I mean, I'll say this, too, about the ending. I was bleary eyed when I was watching the ending and I did not get that the names like being read on the the news or whatever in the radio at the last scene. I read this this morning while the mom's crying crying while she's holding his uniform like to talk about distinguished students that fucking destroyed me this morning i was like holy christ i was like mm -hmm. this fucking poor woman like who lost her son because he kind of went nuts because like the world around him was cracking like yeah. yeah yeah yeah. like it's not his fault like like the world around him is so fucking insane like it kind of broke him it's one of those things where it's like it is his like it doesn't it's his fault, like, physically, yes. It, it doesn't absolve him, because it's still, like, he's kind of a, a fuck-up. He's kind of a shithead. However, it makes you sympathetic to him and to those around him. And how all of this violence and all of this shit he's seen around him has kind of, like, warped his worldview. By the time it ends, you're just like, oh, man, like, it's kind of, it's almost kind of the tagline to zodiac but with like the concept of of like regime and war which is like there's more than one way to lose your life to regime and war mm -hmm. he got 15 years that's fucking insane yeah because i mean he was a kid at the time it happened in 61 so he was probably let out in like 76 if he was 15 when he did it he'd be 13 when he got out he'd be one year older than i am currently that's fucking crazy. This yeah. movie is incredibly affecting, and it's a movie that I think about all the time. And when I was in Barnes and Noble, I was browsing, I got myself a Martin Scorsese movie. I got the box set, the like not Martin Scorsese movie. I got the Martin Martin Scorsese Cinema Foundation box set. I think it's like four or five. What is this? So Martin Scorsese Cinema Project is it's a box set that. Criterion does every year where they have like five movies that the the World Cinema Project has like restored and they put them out. And this year, the reason I got it is because it has this African film called it's the fourth volume, and the the movie is the Angolan film from 1972, Um, and also has Chess of the Wind, which I saw recently in the the, the cinema, and it blew me away. I'm going to give you this based on this watch for me because I'm not satisfied with this, nor am I satisfied with this conversation. 
Give me till like June, like halfway through the year. We're going to come back. We're going to do a rewatch episode just on this. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, no. You know what? Actually, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be a whole episode. Each episode, each each little um, part is going to be its own thing. Movie one is hours one to two. Movie two is hours three to four. (laughs) We're just going to do a brighter summer day redux like the whole conversation i'm gonna watch it in one hour increments which is how i'm gonna do it and that's how we're gonna do it yeah yeah give me till june okay because i know there's a movie here i know there's a movie here this movie's this movie's incredible i i I i'm sure it is is, this is legitimately like one of my favorite movies of all time i just think like every other shot is just so it just i gob dropping like i'm just like He's just throwing heat throughout this whole thing to me. It's it's insane. Well, you know, the thing that we started with, as I said, it's really good. Like, I know it's good. <laughs> like, that's what I told her. She goes, so you didn't like it? I said, no, it's good. Like, that's the fucked up part. I said, it's just way too fucking long. I don't feel like I connect with certain things on it. But, like, knowing what I know now, like, I feel like if I go back and I watch this, like, while listening to this as well, I'll be like, okay, these are the things I want to look for. Okay, I want everybody who has any potential interest in A Brighter Summer Day, feel free, definitely watch it. It is on the Criterion channel. If you liked anything that I've ever put forward, it's of the, like, slow cinema Bergman-esque stuff, you will probably like this, <laughs> because it's probably the best version of it, outside of, like, Jeanine Delman and some other movies, but... I think this movie's incredible. If someone were to put a gun to my head and be like top 10 movies of all time, this probably ends up somewhere near it. Top 10 movies of all time. This is on there somewhere. Yeah. It's either on yeah. or it's very close. Do we want to be fair? That is a list that is always changing. So, you know, <laughs> you put a gun to my head. It might be like literally anything in my top 10. You have your moments where you're like, where you're like, you know what? And then you'll just say something, and I'll be like, he's out of his mind. Like, someone commit him. <laughs> Bad Girls Go to Hell is one of the greatest independent movies of all time. Yeah, but see, you said independent movies. We're talking movies. That's all movies. Like, I think you can, I think you're quantifying it with, like, with, like, the word independent. Like, that doesn't make it the best movie of all time. Like, this is, like, the this is every genre together. Yep. Every genre together, horror, exploitation, independent. Uh, I probably would say that this is, if you gun to my head, if you're like, you have to recommend me like any movie to most people, I probably wouldn't recommend this just because it's so fucking long because <laughs> that's a really huge barrier to entry. But if someone is a cinephile and they said that they have not seen this, I go like, you, you've got it. Huh? I'm going to let my friend Nathan borrow it. I'm very curious to see what he thinks about it. I'm going to tell him, like, the honest-to-God truth and be like, it's four hours long. Just know that. Like, you should... Because I think I'm going to watch it like a miniseries. The way I sprung it on you was not the best way to watch it. It's pretty funny, though. It's a pretty good It's a pretty good bit. It's a good bit. pretty good bit, like... Because usually I'm up for, like, a long movie. Like, you know me. Like, I fucking watched The Irishman twice. Like... Yeah, I think... I think if I had explain to you prior to the, the moment and you had like a whole week to figure out how to digest it i feel like we would have a better conversation but man this is this is a great movie it's fair i love taipei story and this is like twice as good as taipei story uh, i will say this to you again though just so we can we can close it out on this note i'm serious if you want to pay for half of it we can run this one day like just just sit there <laughs> 
just tell tell people like like i don't know I, I feel like we'd have to like take an ad out in the paper like a week before being like first like first like 40 people to show up to this get in for free like here's the thing like two guys might be standing up like you might like like watch that it's like that it's their movie like you have to deal with it hi yes free showing of one of the greatest movies of all time <laughs> kind of want to do it and just see what we could get for it like just it'd be like first 50 people to show up it's five bucks each i feel we could get 50 people from reno to do it we probably could i i would yeah. probably know at least four of them yeah i wonder what that would be not Ugh. including you and me <laughs> yeah well i'm just like tyler and you're like yeah i'm like this is it <laughs> takes us to ask the question what is your favorite scene Oh, man. I really love the scene where she takes him to the, like, shooting gallery. And they just, like, watch that. And you have this, like, really beautiful horizon shot. I also love the, like, gang war scene with the rain. I think it's just, like, fucking incredible. The scene when the gang leader runs into... I can't remember if it was Little Four or if it was another gang member in the, like, little hideout that they have. And you have the person who owns the, like, bar who's, like, mopping up and they kind of get into a fight. I think that's, I think that's also a great, this movie's just full of great moments. It is. You know, once again, it's a vibes movie. Yeah. Once you start to vibe with it, I think you kind of, you can kind of clock in. The problem is, is it is very long. So if you if you're like me and you kind of have ADD or you, there's moments where you kind of like drift in and out of of consciousness. <laughs> if, it were, if it were in a theater, I bet you I would love it. Probably. Yeah, because it'd be like, what else am I doing? I'm not going to be rude to the people around me. I don't know. I've seen movies like Possession in theaters and people have fallen asleep. So no, 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 not falling asleep. I'm talking like be on my phone and shit because I told her. Like, I told her, and that's the thing I think that also kind of fucked me. I told her, I said, here. And I handed her my phone. I said, what, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, go charge that. And she goes, you don't want to? I said, no, I cannot have it on me. I said, this is a foreign movie. I said, it will be on my fucking phone the whole time. And, like, I watched it. Like I said, I know I nodded during it. I'm sure I'm going to go back when I watch this and go, holy shit, I nodded during a lot of this. <laughs> there's definitely, on um, the second rewatch, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember, like, the weird scam they do with the girl who's selling like gum or something. Nope, don't remember that. That was fun. Yeah, it's City of God and Taiwan. Like, I'm down for this premise. Like, nothing about this movie is actually a turnoff to me when I've read what it's about. But and like, I think it deserves. I think it deserves a rewatch. And we've never done this before, but you know what? This might be just the perfect one to do it for. Yeah. No, this movie's this movie's incredible. And if. If you got four hours to kill, like I said, two o'clock into six o'clock, you got to get your little pen, make make yourself lunch, coffee in the middle. It's the best way to watch it. Okay, so your your advice is make lunch, pen, eat lunch, coffee at two hours in, finish mm -hmm. strong. Mm -hmm. I when movies are long like this and you're watching at home, don't feel like you have to watch it in one sitting. You know what I mean? That's you true. That's true. I mean, you, you know me. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, I mean, most people don't have, you're right. For most people, like you and I, you and I can do it because like, I don't know. We've just got that weird gene in us. 
yeah, we're stu- we're stupid. We go to I, I went and saw Marguerite, the director's cut, which is the same length as this movie in a theater. That was dumb. I'm sorry, you went and saw like the Anna Paquin movie. Yeah, I got I guess sit down and watch that movie. I guess that movie was almost on my best of the decade, but I felt guilty because it was so long. <laughs> I don't think you I don't think you can do that. Do what? Like feel feel guilty about that? I think if you got to do it, you got to do it. Yeah, I really should. It's it's a regret I have not putting that list on my best of uh best of the twenties decade, two thousands decade. Yeah, I need to watch Marguerite at some point. I'll get around to it. It's on my uh, what do you call it? My only thing on Letterbox that I have for like recommendations, which is like shit I probably should see. So I think it sips is what the the uh, anagram comes out to. What's your elevator pitch for this? I mean, the elevator pitch of this is like this movie's, I think, pretty strongly in the canon as like one of the greatest movies of all time. Like, hey, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, it's long, but it's worth it. It's very fun. What do you pair with this? Uh, I don't think I would. Maybe I would pair, if I had to pair a movie with it, I would pair just Edward Yang's segment in In Our Time, which I believe is, I forget which one he directed. He directed, God damn it. He directed the second one, Expectation, which is 29 Minutes. That way I get to pair a movie with it, but it's not like a full-length movie. Hooray. Yeah. If that movie's four minutes, it's too long still. I mean, what do you want me to do? Pair it with some trailers? (laughs) (laughs) Might be nice. You know, you should pair this with the trailer for this movie so people know what to expect going in. There's one moment that I always think about where the movie there where it starts with the two kids talking and then the camera pans to the brick wall and then you just you watch them talk like you watch the the, the subtitles appear over uh, a brick wall in their shadows. That Fucking is good. Cool. I remember I remember that scene. I mean, dude's good with the camera. I won't take that away from him. Motherfucker can compose an image. Very very true. What do you give it? What do you think I'm going to give this, man? Come on. (laughs) I've called this movie one of the greatest of all time. One of my top ten favorites. Four and a Uh, quarter. That's what you're giving it. Yeah, four four and a quarter. Four and a half. (laughs) No, it's come on. It's five stars. What are we we doing? Yeah. For right now, this is four. Like like I said, did not hate this movie. Like I said, just, just feel like I just did not have the right time and assignment to do this movie. Which yeah. is nobody's fault because we were doing this bit. I think where... it was a little bit my fault because the day before you watched it, I I sent you a text like, "Okay, start in the movie." <laughs> no, I've just, just got to get back in the swing of watching movies. Which, by the and way, and then four hours later when it ended, I sent a text that just said, "Okay, movies ended." <laughs> I was truly like almost like floored. I was like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" Okay. Yeah, I mean, four and five. This is this is this makes a lot of sense. This was yours, right? This this, this is my feature. This yeah. is my uh, double feature, technically. I think. 
since I came up with the idea. I, I feel like what was the double feature here? Tyler Tyler has both won and lost. I don't even think it was like, yeah, Tyler lost because I lost money, but I don't know. I'm spent twenty dollars to send to people about brighter summer day. <laughs> Seems like a good deal to me. You're like, boom bam, life altered. There there are a couple of movies that I feel like if, if if I'm talking to someone and they're like, I really want to see that, but I haven't seen it and I can't find it, I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to buy you the movie for you. And this is one of them. It's fair. It's very fair. Well, takes us out of it, and it's now my turn. And this year, guys, if you heard it on Noir Palooza, the raw cut, or the potentially should be, most likely will be, edited and up director's cut on Christmas, we have got a new format to the show, kind of. Every other show, obviously, Tyler, me, Tyler, me, will still be me. However, it won't be me picking it. It'll be Tyler picking from just a list of films that I have given him because this is the stuff that's in my physical collection that I have not watched. And as you may or may not know, 2023 is the year of me finishing out my entire collection. I'm not buying a DVD or a Blu-ray until this is done. <laughs> okay. Yep. We're going to get through it. You and me. I'm not buying any. I'm not saying people uh, people can't send them to me. Not saying that. Like, that's <laughs> that, that's not what I'm saying. Because you got a bonanza when I sent you movies. Oh, it's true. I'm Those those have been added to the list, too. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to come up at I saw. Point. They're going to come up eventually. <laughs> I'm Especially sure the they one will. I haven't seen that I sent you, which is Pets. You haven't seen that? Not yet, no. But when a girl looked at that, she goes, that looks filthy. And I was like, yeah, probably. Who knows? So, I mean, Tyler, like, we're interested to see what you pick. Uh, we'd be curious to know how you picked. I looked through all of them, and this is probably how I'm going to do it, and just, like, find a movie that I want to watch or a movie that I think has, like, an interesting whatever about it and try and find a movie that I can pair it with. And I sometimes look for people who are relevant for whatever reason. So yeah, the first pairing, I think it's going to make a lot of sense after I announce it. First film is a 1995 satirical black comedy film directed by Gus Van Zandt and written by Buck Henry, based on the novel of the same name by Joyce Menard. It stars Nicole Kidman, Walking Phoenix, Matt Dillon, and Eileena Douglas, also featuring Wayne Knight, Casey Affleck, Kirkwood Smith, Dan Hedaya, Allison Folland. It's the 1995 film To Die For. To Die For. To Die For. I mean, yeah. I this movie has been up. I mean, it's been on my checklist. Like. I don't know where I came across this movie. It is not a part of the director's guild, as I'm going to start referring to it. This is in the uh, this is in the weeds. This is another um, one that's in the weeds that I have. This is one of the ones that's in the weeds for the collection. This is not part of the director's guild. I don't have every Gus Van Sant movie. The only way a movie can be recognized by the guild is if I have every movie by it. Certain people in there excluded, of course, because let's be honest, like I have the big Hitchcock movies, but like you're never going to be able to find like I don't know, like multiple of the Hitchcock movies, so let it go. A lot of them are hard to find, like Black Male and the early shorts, and like you know, you don't want to buy like a compilation, yeah. get, like 
the Jamaica Inn or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And what are we watching with it? We're going to chase that with a 2013 psychological thriller film in an English debut, which was written by Wentworth Miller of Prison Break fame under the pen name of Ted Folk, starring Mia Wachowski, Matthew Good, and Nicole Kidman, and released in 2013, directed by Park Chan-wook, Stoker. A movie I have seen in theaters, but I don't remember dick about park chain look seems more like a guy that could end up in the director's guild than gus sunny <laughs> jim here's the story as soon as soon as i have watched all of these movies and there's 351 of them and i think i can knock it out by next year as soon as i've i've knocked out every single one of them I am going to take all the movies from my like in the weeds section and just like kind of like start categorizing it in a different like place with like by director seeing who I have the closest to. And that's who are the next like round of like people going into the director's guild are. Okay. I like that idea. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's going to work because got most of them. I don't know. I feel it's time to open up the, the way to like uh, John Woo for sure. People like that got to start uh, making their way over. John Woo. Yeah, he's he's so good. He is. Leads me to say that they can follow all of these antics at TWGTF pod on Twitter and Instagram. They can follow me at ET critic for the empty theater critic. And they can follow us at TWGTF pod. You can follow me at Movie Loving Lucha 87 on Instagram. And more recently, you can find me at you can follow me at Empty Critic 87 on uh, Letterboxd. Do you have Letterboxd? I do. What's your Letterboxd? Try and find me, fuckers. How do you find people? Eh, figure it out later. That's funny. Uh what do you call it though? What the fuck? Where are we talking? Oh, you can follow me. You can follow me at Empty Critic eighty seven on Letterboxd. Um, I'm trying to move away from Twitter, not for any particular reason, just because it seems Letterboxd is an easier way to get the film stuff out there. And yeah, probably start posting tweet length reviews there. I'm not gonna really go any further than that, even though it's kind of nice to know you can if you really want to say something about a movie. But yeah, Tyler's anywhere they can follow you. They can follow me uh, around on the streets of Europe where I'm telling lies and doing magic tricks. That hat is ridiculous. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've of course been your host, Ben. And I'm Orson Welles. And remember, guys, if you come to our little video box around the way and you see a guy with a beard doing close-up magic for kids, well... Just make sure those kids aren't part of some sort of like Taiwanese gang because they are going to stab that old man. Uh, apologies in advance for my Orson Welles impression that I've never tried before out loud and have only ever heard in my head. It's going to sound like Rod Sterling. I can feel it. Value depends on opinion. Opinion depends on the experts. A faker like Elmer makes fools of the experts. So who's the expert? Who's the faker? Talking, 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 talking.